Welcome in, everyone. It is Thursday, July 22nd. I am your host, Mark Reel, and uh, tonight we have very special guests. We're going to change it up a little bit. Uh, we have a, a Arkansas attorney, Brian Vandiver. So um, welcome, Brian. Thank you for coming in. Um, Brian is not a practicing family law attorney, but uh, as a lot of you know, a lot of the conversation, the state of Arkansas this year became the second state in the United States to pass a 50-50 presumption in their family law courts. And we were just talking um, here in a few days, that law is actually going to go into effect. So tonight, the next hour, we are going to spend talking about the work Brian did and the work the rest of the crew in Arkansas did to get that across the finish line. So welcome in, Brian. Thank you for joining us tonight. So Thanks, we'll, we'll dive right in um, and tell us kind of, I know we talked before we went on here, tell us a little bit about the history of the parenting laws in Arkansas up until this change in 2021. Sure. Thanks for the invitation. I'm honored to, to be uh, a guest. So in Arkansas, uh, we've had an evolution in, in the change of the law. Uh, before 2003, like many other states, uh, joint custody was disfavored, not even allowed as an option. Uh, and then we had a tweak in the statute that allowed the courts to do it, but it was still disfavored. And then in 2013, we had a really good law passed, uh, sponsored by my good friend, Mark Lowry, my representative, that said joint custody is gonna be favored in Arkansas and actually defined joint custody as a reasonable and approximate equal division of time between the parents. And you know we thought that that was a win and that was a good step. Unfortunately, the courts in, continued to interpret that law in, and found ways to not award joint custody, whether the parents couldn't get along or fighting, what have you, and, and the outcomes just didn't match up with the intended result. So uh, we came back in 2019 with a, a rebuttable presumption bill that failed in the Judiciary Committee. And after that failure, we got our team together. Uh, I've been aligned with Arkansas Advocates for Parental Equality. Uh, Patrick Fraley started that organization in 2015, I believe, and his wife, Gina, they've been instrumental in this grassroots effort in Arkansas. And Pat, Patrick's really been the architect of the whole thing. Gina has been the volunteer lobbyist. It's been day-to-day -day, uh, boots on the ground, making contact with, with various people. Uh, and so we, we kind of formed our plan of what we wanted the bill to say and what we needed to do to get it passed. And um, that's kind of where it started. And we, we got it across the finish line this, this year. Awesome. And yeah, that's a huge deal. I, I tell people now, uh, Arkansas, as of a few days from now, is going to have the strongest uh, equal and shared parenting law in the country. Huge step forward, um, taking even a half step forward from what Kentucky has. Um, so let, let's go back to the beginnings, the startings of, you said in 2019, um, it had a, a rebuttable presumption bill that failed. And then we, then you set out kind of a two-year plan as to what you needed to do to get something through. So for our viewers, talk about where that starts. Um, is it drafting the bill? Is it getting legislators involved? What are the first couple of steps that someone would need to do or that you guys found success with in the state of Arkansas? Well, I, th I think one is writing a good bill. And we had a lot of people uh, that supported us uh, throughout this process. Uh, Kenneth Rosa at Father's Rights Movement, uh, Mark Ludwig at AES. Uh, AESP, uh, Don Huben at National Parents Organization. We're not affiliated with any national organization, but we are aligned with all of these national movements because we all share the same goal of equal shared parenting. And so we had a lot of input from different people. We looked at the Kentucky statute, took the best parts of it, but then we, we said, we want the Holy Grail. We want the clear and convincing rebuttable presumption. And we wrote it in a way to achieve that because once you change the burden of proof, a lot of other dominoes fall. And uh, that was kind of our goal in, in writing a good bill and then finding good sponsors and co-sponsors 
who will go to bat for you in the legislature. Uh, Senator Alan Clark, who's been a champion of children children's rights in our state, and Jimmy Gasway, who is the the representative sponsor, is an attorney and did an, an amazing job presenting the bill in committee and advocating for us. So we had some really strong sponsors. We had a broad spectrum of co-sponsors, men, women, Republicans, Democrats. And then we had a lot of support from various communities, whether you have conservative family rights groups or more liberal minority uh, fatherless home uh, fatherless groups that are focused on how can we get more men involved in children's lives and we had a broad spectrum of support and i think um we really surprised a lot of people in in the the group we put together yeah i think i think that's a big point and and i've had the opportunity to speak with and talk with a lot of the individuals that that you mentioned there and i think one one of the biggest uh takeaways i've had is don huban uh has obviously been in the game and has been around the movement for decades now. And his biggest piece of advice to me around any of it was if any group, if any person, even if the bill is imperfect, gets any momentum, everyone needs to throw all of their weight behind it. It may not be perfect. It may not be exactly what you want. It may not be achieving exactly what you set out, but any chance to get a proverbial first down when it comes to improving the laws everyone needs to band together in, in that sense. That's right. So, well, We're all on the same team in the end. Yeah, and, and definitely. And then you mentioned in terms of the support of the general public, going out and getting different groups. They may have different views of what these laws should be or what they're going to achieve. But at the end of the day, it's we, we've seen it in multiple states now. There are Democrats, there are Republicans, there are conservatives, there are liberals, there are every segment of the population, if you explain it to them and you explain what the benefits of it are, it's probably one of their core tenets that they want to pursue. So, Absolutely. yeah, so let, let's go. So you mentioned drafting mm -hmm. a good bill. That That's the first piece of it. And that's the biggest thing. So in terms of you, you obviously the original bill you didn't, you got draft, you drafted isn't what became law. That's just kind of the process. And we'll dive into the legislative process a little bit later. Um, what would you say for some someone who's kind of seen the process over a two-year period culminate in success? What are the keys to drafting that bill? Uh, well, we hope that our bill is, is a template or a springboard for a lot of other states that they can use our bill uh, as a, a source of inspiration. I think the key for us was knowing what our code said already and knowing how to tweak it in a way that really maximized the impact for custody litigation. And, you know, you, you can have non-lawyers involved, but it really helps to have lawyers involved who know how to write code and know how to draft a bill and help the legislators uh, understand what the language in the bill is going to do. And so when you have attorneys uh, who are also legislators that can help amend the bill, write the bill and know what the language is going to do, that is a huge asset. And so we we knew we wanted the clear and convincing standard. We knew we wanted to add language in there to address uh, what's the so-called conflict exception so that, you know, we've we've had a lot of courts in Arkansas say that, you know, when there's conflict and parents can't get along, well, you can't award joint custody. And that's just not true. And so we had language specifically geared towards that to say, no judges, you, you need to try to uh, address conflict in the order and preserve joint custody. Uh, and, and then language that says, even if there's not going to be joint custody, we're still going to maximize the time with the non-custodial parent and judge, you're going to have to make specific findings, uh, facts and conclusions of law. And as a lawyer, you know that that means that's one, more work for the judge, but two, you're creating a record. So the judge is going to have to justify his or her decision of why they are deviating from joint custody. Yeah, and, and I think we I, I always point to there are three major components of a there's obviously a lot that goes into a good custody law, but there are three major components that 50-50 rebuttable presumption, the standard that must be met to rebut that presumption, 
And then if that presumption's rebutted, you get facts, findings, and conclusions of law, because like you said, that's more work for the judge. So if the judge goes against that, they have to go back chambers and they have to actually put on paper what they, why they did what they did. And number two, it creates a, that paper trail. Family law right. cases essentially are, unless there was some egregious decision, were very low success rate on appeal. But now the judge has to go back if they deviate from that presumption and list out exactly why they did what they did. That's so right. that that in terms of as me as a family law attorney, that that's a huge piece. And we've seen I think it was five states this year ended up getting facts, findings and conclusions into law. Um, I think four of those states were very disappointed at their at, at what they ended up actually getting through this year. But that's a big win because it does create that that accountability that, that's what i think it, it creates accountability with the judges it does it does it creates accountability and makes them justify their decision and um you know i, th I think we kind of hit the trifecta with our our bill and now our act and we're, we're very proud of it uh, but i think you know going back to where i started you need to know what your code says currently to know how to fix it. And um, every state's different in how their code is written on family law and child custody. Yeah, and I, th I think the big piece is, um, I found too, is that different states, different views, obviously different political leanings, you're gonna need to be able to go in and pitch things differently. Arkansas, very conservative state, you're gonna be very red, um, it's going to be it's going to be more of the the conservative values that are going to get pitched to, to the senators to the representatives, and if you're in a liberal state, it maybe have to be one of those things where you're stronger on the we're putting fathers back in homes and the statistics around that fathers of color are three times more likely to be pulled out of out of their children's lives. Um, so the 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 big piece in that is you're going to have to educate yourself. Um, okay. And, and we and we did a specific we made a specific effort to not only educate ourselves, but to educate the legislators. And what we did, and I think whether your your state is red or blue, statistics don't have a political leaning. And so what we did is we put together uh, binders of statistics, research from Fabricus and other the other uh, therapists and scientists and researchers that have weighed in on this and been published and there's just stacks and stacks of literature on this. We bound it and put it together and gave the committee members hard copies of that. So they had the research, they had the statistics, uh, and we we educated them to a large degree on, on facts that that are indisputable and you can't argue with them. And so when someone comes in to argue against the concept of, of joint custody, they have to argue something other than statistics. Yeah, 100%. And then, I mean, it goes back to the, the fantastic work that NPO does um, in terms of, I think they have about half the states in the country at this point where they've went out and they've polled voters. And yeah. that's something you can, it's, I think, three pages you can go slap on a legislator's desk and say, this is something that has, in the terms of in, pol in political terms, something having 80 to 90% of the general public support is insane. That doesn't happen. And that's we what the NPO polling shows. We had that specifically for Arkansas. Don Huben uh, and NPO did that for us. Uh, we had, I think, 90% support of our uh, the concepts in our bill of, of joint shared equal parenting. Uh, and, and once you present that to legislators, it's hard for them to vote against that. Mm -hmm. So you talked about the binders, you put the binders together. I kind of want to get into the nitty gritty of how those relationships are built, because we hear a lot. Um, there's a lot of talk in the community of, oh, reach out to your legislators, reach out to your state senators, reach out to your state assembly people or House of Representatives. So can you walk through um, for our viewers how how you were you, you and your group were able to effectively kind of build a coalition of legislators? Sure. Uh, so Senator Alan Clark was our champion in the Senate. Uh, that's where this bill originated. It was Senate Bill 18 when it was going through the process. 
Um, and, and he, as I said, has been a champion of children's rights in our state for a long time, and I admire him greatly. And he, he carried the weight for this bill in the Senate, um, and it ended up passing the Judiciary Committee, I think, with maybe one no vote and passed the full Senate 33 to 2, uh, both of those two no votes being attorneys. So um, he was a champion uh, in the Senate. We, we weren't really concerned with the Senate side. Uh, we, we felt we had it pretty wrapped up. The House side is a little more rambunctious and unpredictable. Um, and so we had to do some work there. And I think, you know, making the personal connections with as many legislators as you can. I, I spent hundreds of hours on emails and phone calls and meetings, just one-on-one -on -one volunteer hours to say, hey, what can I do to convince you to support this? Because I'm not going to go away. This is the right. This is the right policy for our state. And until and until you tell me no, there's absolutely no way. I'm not going to give up. So um, we we came at it from a, a, a bunch of different angles. Like I said, uh, family rights, uh, conservative groups, uh, groups that were focused on getting fathers back in the home, groups that were focused on equality and, and fairness in the judicial system. Um, and there's a lot of different angles that can sell on both sides of the political aisles. And uh, a lot of it's just working personal relationships, figuring out who you know that's going to be aligned with your goal and who will help you and building from that. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll tell this story real quick. Um, one of the, the legislators that I talked to, uh, he's a good friend um, of mine. I've known I'd known for many years. As a matter of fact, he he was the father of a friend of mine that I used to play Little League baseball with. And he and I got to talking about Little League baseball in the hometown in Arkansas. And uh, he and I uh, just had a great conversation, great uh, visit, maybe an hour long on the phone. And, and finally, he told me, he said, Brian, if you support this, I know it's a good cause and you've got my vote. So, um, you know, it's, it's little things like that that just one by one, you've got to build the coalition and build the votes. Yes, I think that's a, a good point. I want to tell us, I saw, so I want to give it a shout out to Andy Tyler. I'm going to tell a little story that that he told me. I hope I hope you're okay with that, Andy. But your state legislators are a lot more accessible than you think. Um, I, I've heard from Andy and multiple other people where simply writing a quick email or uh, calling the office of uh, and leaving a message with their staff and they they they'll call back and they'll have conversations with you, even if there's no pre-existing relationship. Um, a lot of these state legislators are leaders in the local community. They're just average people who have who have ran for office. So don't be afraid to just reach out to their office. Don't be afraid to shoot a quick email and say, "Hey, I support this. Can I talk to you about this?" Um, and, and you'd be surprised at the number of state legislators that are willing to have those conversations. It may not be on the first email, it may not be on the first call, but if you do that three or four times, I think there are a lot of local legislators that are gonna get back to you and are gonna be willing to have those conversations because they wanna hear what's going on in their communities. Absolutely, they, they generally are very accessible and they are generally also very overwhelmed in the issues that they have on their desk because they are flooded with a number of issues during the session and unless you stay on their radar, your issue is going to fall to the bottom. So you have to, we focused on staying on the radar of the legislators and not staying on the radar of the media or social media. We wanted to stay on the radar of the legislators so they know that when they saw me or Gina or Patrick at the state house, they knew exactly the issue we were there for and they knew why we were there. And uh, we, we had face-to-face -face time with everyone. So you have to invest that time and emails are great, phone calls are great, but nothing can replace face-to-face -face conversations, eye-to-eye. Uh, -eye. And you've gotta, you've gotta do that. Uh, you've gotta make those connections. So that, that could be a piece that, that sounds really scary. Um, going in face-to-face -face and trying to get a meeting or trying to have a conversation with a state representative, a state senator. So how, do, how does that process play out? How do you get the first meeting or have the first conversation with a legislator? 
Well, first, I would say, you know, you need to organize and, and have your leaders, your group, whatever it is uh, that would be similar to our group, Arkansas Advocates for Parental Equality. You want to have your message as streamlined and on point as possible, because if you have a bunch of different people coming in from different angles and not aligned, it's it's not as effective. So we had a lot of meetings together about what was our message going to be before we went and talked to the legislators. And so we had, you know, we, we had those points down. Once you do that, then you make contact, whether it's through your point person with your organization, you, de you designate someone to make those meetings happen, or maybe you have people that already have those personal relationships that can pick up the phone and set a meeting. Uh, so it depends on the legislator and, and who has those relationships. But once you have the meeting scheduled, then you go in and you make your elevator pitch, your, your elevator pitch, because they're busy. They, they can't spend half an hour with you. Go in, you give them two or three minutes, you give them a, what we did is we prepared a, a flyer with a talking points and statistics geared towards Arkansas of exactly what we wanted to do, what our bill said, that we could hand them, say, here is what our bill is, here's why you need to vote for it. And then we're out the door. And if um, if they were on board, great, they'd tell us, they, or they'd say they think about it, get back to us, or they just say, no, I can't support it. But unless they told me no, I wasn't going to give up. So mm -hmm. um, it, it takes a lot of work and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people are afraid to go and talk to legislators. But you have to remember, they work for you. They work for the citizens. Uh, so they're they are there to hear your problems. And if and if you want to make a change, you have to do it. You have to get in front of them. Yeah, and I think the the a big piece of it, Brian, we talked about it briefly before we hopped on live, is a lot of these legislators, unless they've been in family law court or they've had a significant other, parent, child go through family court, they have no idea that this issue even exists. So oh, that's just being right. able to walk in there and educate them. It, education, I think it was the number one thing that made us successful, educating the legislators and making them understand what a huge problem this was. And, um, and it not, it's, it's just as big of a problem with the substance of the law in family court as it was a, 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 to, a toss uh, or a, a pulling of the rope between the legislature and the courts, if you want. It was really a power grab of who was going to decide what the policy of the state should be. And once we educated the legislators on, hey, the courts have basically told the legislature, we don't care what you did in 2013. We're going to do what we want to do. Uh, you should have seen the faces of some of those legislators because they didn't like that at all. So once you educate legislators about that, that this isn't this is also this is about family law substantively, but it's also about your power to decide the policy of the state. Then they get really interested because legislators don't like being ignored, especially when they've already spoken on the issue once. Yeah, very, very, very true. All right, so we're going to go to a quick commercial break, and we will be back on the backside uh, talking more about the new law in Arkansas. You love your children love you. and want them to have everything. How about both parents? Introducing Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program. The program is very simple. Sign up, download the app, access services. Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program offers access to medical market, telemedicine, mental wellness, medical bill negotiation and advocacy, chronic care, and a wellness savings program with membership add-ons available soon, like prepaid legal services, prepaid college savings plans, prepaid identity theft protection services, and much more. Annual memberships starting at just $35 a month. Here's what our members say about us. You guys are a huge blessing in my life. This community is amazing. I truly thank you for all that you do. Learn more and sign up at www.tfrm.org. Equal Shared Parenting Benefits Program. It's about the children. They're today and they're tomorrow. 
Welcome back, everyone. I am Mark Real Jr., the host here, um, back with Arkansas attorney Brian Vandiver. So um, we have spoken about the best practices, how you guys were able to get in front of legislators, how you were able to educate them. Um, let's let's take a step back and go broader. So walk our viewers through what is the legislative process from a bill being introduced to a bill becoming law in the state of Arkansas? Uh, so in Arkansas, our session, um, we have a legislative session that meets every two years for pol big policy changes. We have a fiscal session that meets on the off year, but uh, it's every odd year that our main session meets. And so uh, after we failed in 2019, we kind of had a two year plan to say, okay, 2021, we're gonna come back. Uh, the first step is getting your bill written in, in advance of uh, far in advance of when the session actually starts, because if you're writing your bill and getting it filed after the session starts, you're behind the game. You need to have your bill written and ready to go. I would say at least a month, if not two to three months before the session starts. So you can get it filed as quickly as possible on day one. Uh, we were lucky enough to be the 18th bill filed in the Senate, so we were early. We were early in the filings of of the Senate bills. Um, that does a couple of things. One, that puts you in the in the first of the lineup for for bills to be considered, but also that also lets you start educating legislators uh, and other interested parties on what your bill is is about and what it's going to do. So you have to have a plan many months in advance of when the session actually starts. Once the bill is filed, whether it's in the Senate or the House uh, in Arkansas, it has to go through a committee. Um, fortunately, ours was filed um, in the Senate uh, as a Senate bill. It's where it originated. And uh, Alan Clark, who was our sponsor, is the chair of the Judiciary Committee, fortunately. And so it was assigned to the Judiciary Committee where he championed it through. And that was, um, of course, um, uh, fortuitous for us because we knew that we would have a, a strong advocate in the Judiciary Committee. Um, it, it failed in the Judiciary Committee in the House in 2019, so uh, we were hoping to have it uh, assigned to a different committee in the House, and we did. We, we, we were able to get it. Uh, somehow it was assigned to a, another committee, um, and I'll just say that the Judiciary Committee uh, in the House side in Arkansas has a you know, lawyers involved, and it's much more problematic than uh, than we wanted wanted it to be. So we were able to get into um, the Youth Aging um, uh, Committee, and uh, we had a strong presentation in that committee. We had a lot of dads come in and testify, a lot of professionals uh, come in and testify, veterans. Um, I testified. We had um, a surprising testimony from a therapist that I know and respect, um, Elizabeth Ruggiero, who's a, a marriage counselor and children's therapist, and she just knocked it out of the park as to why uh, joint custody should be the norm. Uh, and so we had a lot of advocates come and testify. And you have to have that support. You have to have people show up to committee to testify. And because you know the opposition is going to be there, and and we knew who our opposition was um, from the outset. It was the family lawyers primarily, and and the judges that that were opposed to it. Um, we did have some family lawyers who had the courage to step up and testify in favor of this bill. Uh, Kevin Hickey and, and Greg Crumpton, and and some others who who they they stood up and they did the right thing and and you have to have lawyers involved who will say this is the right thing this is what we need to do from a policy standpoint not what's best for lawyers or family lawyers um and and we had that and and you have to have that to combat those who are going to oppose it uh and then you have to have people to say, despite what these judges are telling you, this is what's best for the state. And we had that as well. So um, we had a great presentation in committee. We were able to get it through committee. Uh, there was some pushback uh, that we had to make an amendment. And so when you, whenever you have an amendment process, uh, you have to, it has to go back through committee. 
the the one the main part of the amendment was that uh, we were afraid that our bill wouldn't pass if it if the presumption applied to both new cases and existing cases. And so the concession we made was that the presumption part of the new law only applies to new cases um, that have have never had a custody order. Um, and, but the other parts of the bill uh, will still apply to modification cases. So we had that um, amendment. We had to go back and get it through committee. We did that. Uh, again, it passed the Senate 33 to 2, passed the House 71, I think, to 16, if I remember correctly, uh, and signed easily by the governor. Um, so that's the process. And then in Arkansas, once um, a bill is signed, it takes effect 90 days after the end of the session, um, which our end of the session was at the end of April. And so Monday will be the, the day that most laws take effect unless there was a a bill could have an emergency clause on it, but ours didn't have that. So, gotcha. Okay, so we got we got introduction of the bill. You're going to go through either the House or the Senate's committee, um, and then you're going to go to the floor for a vote in that chamber. That's then right. You go to the other side. You got to get through committee and go to the House. There can be amendments, and it has to go back and forth, get passed around. Um, ultimately, you need both chambers to vote in favor of it. It goes to the governor's desk in the state of Arkansas. Uh, Ninety days after the session's over, it becomes law. That's so right. That that process is a process that uh, that plays out pretty similarly in most states. Um, that that's going to be the process that a bill is going to have to go through. Um, you mentioned something that I think is is always a topic of conversation in knowing your enemies. Um, and you cited really two of the three groups that are usually the ones who hardest against a presumption of, of a 50-50 presumption in family court. The bar associations, the family law attorneys, uh, the judges associations, um, the, the individuals who currently have all the power and discretion. And then a third group you, you routinely see would be domestic violence groups or women's groups that will hop in. We've seen it in states like West Virginia, where National Organization of Women came in and made a huge push um, to mm -hmm. keep that presumption from coming into play. So for the two that, that you um, mentioned there, the family law attorneys and the judges, how did you guys go about combating those groups that let's be honest, are more well-funded than the equal and shared parenting groups that are trying to drive this bill through? Well, what we did was uh, our sponsors of the bill, Senator Clark, uh, primarily uh, had an open dialogue with any any opponents of the bill. And, and he said, look, this is our goal. This is our bill. And um, we're going to pass something and we, we welcome you to help us improve the law. And we are open to any suggestions you have to how we can improve the law. Uh, and, and he opened that conversation, had meetings with him, several uh, in-person meetings, uh, Skype meetings with judges, with uh, family law attorneys. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, they just could not support a rebuttable presumption um, any rebuttable presumption because they wanted the discretion to remain with with the judges and that's just not what what our goal was and and we weren't aligned uh so we did take some of the language that they uh proposed and incorporated it in the final bill uh but uh, at the end of the day our goal was to have a rebuttable presumption uh, that could only be deviated uh, from with clear and convincing evidence uh, and that standard was so so critical. There was one point where we were having our discussions and, you know, the idea came across, the judges really want us to cave on this clear and convincing evidence to get it done. Do we need to do that? And I said, absolutely not. Um, and others said that as well, because if we cave, then nothing really is going to change. If it's a preponderance of the evidence for, for the viewers that don't understand the burden of proof, a preponderance of the evidence means 50% plus anything else. And the way I describe it is if you have the evidence falling and a feather of evidence falls one way or another, that's preponderance. And that decides the case. And so to have that feather of evidence fall one way or the other to, to make the distinction between 
custodial parent and non-custodial parent every other weekend is a huge impact. And that's why the burden is so important because in Arkansas, we already had uh, in our in our law and other areas of the law, the definition for clear and convincing evidence. And that means evidence that produces a firm conviction in you that the allegation is true. Or in another way, proof so clear, direct, weighty, and convincing as to enable you to come to a clear conviction of the matter asserted. And that's the standard that we should be using in custody cases. If we're going to terminate parental rights, I mean, that's the standard that's required for the state to terminate parental rights, right? That's the standard they have to meet, according to the U.S. Supreme Court. So if it's parent versus parent, why shouldn't we also require that standard to terminate parental rights? And we should. This is not a car wreck case. This is not a this is not a case that uh, a contract case. This is a case that impacts people's lives forever. And I don't do family law, but I've experienced it and uh, I understand it. Yeah. I mean, I've had I've had attorneys who now practice family law that were public defenders that handle PI cases. And every single one of them will say the, the most stressful thing is thinking about someone on preponderance of the evidence losing either all or a significant portion of their parental rights. So I, I definitely applaud you for standing firm and standing your ground on that clear and convincing evidence um, and, and explaining that to the viewers and, and only an attorney could write that um, or, a, or a judge somewhere, I'm sure, uh, in the state of Arkansas uh, decided they wanted to be the one to, to define what that meant. <laughs> well, we hope that uh, other states will follow suit and, and really um, adopt this burden as well because it is a game changer. And um, I think we will see in Arkansas – I don't I don't know that the number of custody cases will change all that much, but I think that there will be a huge change in the amount of litigation and time that is needlessly spent on whether someone is a fit parent or not, on frivolous issues that you shouldn't be fighting about. Um, and I, I hope that's the case, and I really think it will be. I, I As a practicing family law attorney, my first thought of this is, there's almost never settlements prior to the first hearing. If you have a 50-50 presumption, and, and I was trained as a labor and employment attorney, you're a practicing labor and employment attorney, the law is a lot more clear cut, and you end up usually settling. Very few cases actually drag on in that, in that area of law because both parties essentially know the small window that the case will eventually fall into. So my right. first thought on these 50-50 is that as an attorney, unless there's a legitimate substance abuse issue, which is serious, unless there's a legitimate domestic violence issue, which is obviously serious, unless there's some issue along those lines, both attorneys are going to go in knowing that, okay, either the parents and us can come to an agreement and tell the judge what we want, or the judge is just going to slap the 50-50 on there. So as an attorney, I think in in my mind, I think it's going to make it easier to settle early on because the burden is going to be much higher to create something different or or to drag things out. And that was our goal. That that is our our intended goal. That's our hope to reduce litigation, to encourage settlement earlier through this rebuttable presumption. Because as I know, and as others have experienced, the more litigation there is, the deeper the scars are and the harder it is for the parents to heal and, and move past litigation. And if you can take some of that litigation away and settle it uh, earlier rather than later, I think uh, it, it only benefits the children uh, in the long run. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we've, we've already seen it. I think something that's going to be very compelling, obviously now we're going to get the state of Arkansas here in a couple of years. Statistics are going to start to come out. We've started to see those statistics, and I'm sure you use them in your state, that have started to trickle out from the state of Kentucky, where the number of hearings is down, the number of domestic violence cases is down, um, that, that a lot of times we didn't really talk about in terms of the the enemies to equal and shared parenting, but those domestic violence groups that come and say, this is protecting the abusers. And 
we, we, we're starting to see if we get more and more states on board with this, I have a gut feeling that the statistics are just going to become overwhelming, that it's going to become that tidal wave that two, three years from now, if you're a legislator that does not support this 50-50 presumption, you're, you're going to have that kind of scarlet letter moving forward of you supported discrimination. That's right. That's right. And, and that's what it is. This is a this is a civil rights issue, uh, an equality issue, and uh, they are going to be on the wrong side of the issue if they don't support this type of legislation. And so the, the statistics will keep showing uh, that. Uh, we're confident the statistics from Arkansas will show that, uh, and we will we will keep fighting the good fight. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So um, in terms of, we'll kind of wrap up Arkansas and then I'll have you kind of um, give some, some of your key takeaways, maybe some of your mistakes that you, you made early on or throughout the process. Mm -hmm. But um, in the state of Arkansas, are you guys are you guys staying in pat with this? Is there anything else that any addendums, anything that you guys are going to be trying to push through? Well, I think first, you know, anytime you have success, you become a target. And I think uh, our, our top priority is protecting what we have. Uh, so we're going to make sure and monitor any future legislative attempts to try to um, push this back or repeal this in any way. Uh, we want to protect what we have, and and I think we have the support in the legislature legislature to do that. Um, I think there's always room for improvement, uh, and and we've got some ideas that we've tossed around, uh, in both in the child support and and the child custody arenas, uh, and we're we've got some goals that we've outlined for 2023 that we're hopeful that we'll have good support for there. Um, I think. Also, you can't ignore that there's the legislative effort, but there's also uh, an effort on the judicial election side. And I would strongly encourage states to make change in judicial elections, because when you can't change the law, you can't have an impact in changing the judges who decide these cases. And what we've seen is when you elect newer, younger judges who have a different way of thinking, they are much more inclined to um, uh, to uh, have joint custody, shared custody decisions than older established judges. And so what we've done is we've tried to vet judicial candidates, look at candidates that we think would align with shared parenting, 50-50 parenting, and support those candidates when we can. Uh, so that's another avenue that, that we've undertaken uh, and we have some judicial um, announcements that have just come out in the past month and we'll have an election uh, in the, I think spring of next year. Yeah, I think that that's a big piece being in the courts on a daily basis um, that a law is not going to fix everything. Um, I always use the analogy to clients that you may end up in front of the, the old cranky judge who's been on the bench for 20 years that practiced family law for 30 years before that and hasn't read any of the literature that's come out in the last 40 years, hasn't hasn't looked, hasn't opened the family code in who knows how long. And right. they're still operating in the eighties and nineties um, when the laws were much different. I mean, pretty much every state's had adjustments since the eighties, but um, yeah, the, the bench and, and I'll go as far as saying, I'm not going to make you go as far as saying this, the bias that a lot of times comes from courtrooms um, of judges that tend to be older white and male, um, usually not the most progressive courtrooms uh, as, no. as just a general statement. I'm not going to press you yep. on this, but you piqued yeah. my curiosity. Yeah. You said, you said, um, you said that uh, you guys had some, some thoughts in terms of child support and child custody that you were pushing forward. Are you ready to talk about that or no? I'm, I'm not going to make well, you talk about that. I know. So we had some good, uh, yeah, I'll talk about on child support. Uh, we had a, a, the stat, the legislature passed a law that required uh, the income share model to be used and required our courts to adopt that model, uh, which they did through a, a judiciary um, committee this past, uh, was it this past summer, I believe, maybe the summer before. I'm, I'm, I've lost my time, my timing uh, with with COVID, uh, but it was in the past year that they adopted the new income share model. I, I believe it went into effect this past summer. Um, and part of it was a good win, 
Um, I think there's room for improvement. There were some parts of it that talked about um, joint custody and, um, you know, we, we would like uh, some stronger language in, in that. Uh, and so we're going to come back, I think, and try to revisit that and, and have some stronger language on the when you do have joint custody, how does that impact how much you pay um, in child support uh, in the income share model? Um, I think there's some some language that we can look at on when when we talk about the conflict because you know what that's been one area of of law of the cases that have really been problematic in Arkansas. The cases that that say the parents can't get along, we're not going to award joint custody. And so I think you know we'll see what our language in in this act did. But if if that doesn't cure it, we're going to come back with some stronger language. I think that just in effect reverses that whole line of case law and says that cannot be a reason not to award joint custody. Uh, and, and, and in fact, this, the research shows that even when the parents can't get along, the children still do better when there's joint custody. So um, those are some things that we're kind of looking at uh, on the horizon and uh, hopefully uh, we'll have some other uh, interesting ideas as well in 2023. I can't help but hop in on this. So, so obviously, I'm 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 kind of clued into the the family law scene nationwide, and um, the the American Bar Association puts out relevant cases uh, every once a month. Any relevant case decisions, and um, it, it is an Arkansas attorney, Arkansas family law attorney, that does that. And you guys, uh, you guys had a decision that a, a judge made that basically said the conflict from the parents wasn't shouldn't be that relevant and of of the 25 cases she had for that month that was the only case she decided to hop in and uh put her opinion out there and she was like i don't know how that cannot be relevant and she went on for probably two or three paragraphs um but in you saying that um I'm, I'm sure this is probably an attorney that uh you have had to deal with or had to come across um but yeah the studies show that when you make it equal and shared, when you when you make it the 50-50 or as close to it as possible, it reduces conflict. There's no tug yeah, of war. Anymore. If, if it's the case that I'm thinking of, it was the Pace v. Pace case that was decided in 20, I believe March 2020. And the, it took seven years for our Supreme Court to say that the change in 2013 was profound and no longer can an argument between the parents be a reason to avoid awarding joint custody. And, and that, that case was used by our opposition to say, well, there's no reason to make a change. But I came back with the argument to say, no, that, that case highlights the reason we need to change because it took seven years for the Supreme Court of Arkansas to say that, and the lower courts haven't been doing it. Mm -hmm. So, um, we, we, we have some very good justices on the Arkansas Supreme Court. Uh, two of them wrote a concurring opinion. I'd encourage you to read that concurring opinion because it goes even further to, to say that, you know, really the day has gone when we should be considering disputes or disagreements between parents as a reason for not awarding joint custody. Uh, and and I, I'm hopeful that with the new statute we just passed that reasoning will grow even stronger in our courts yeah and i think i think places like this groups like yours groups national groups like the father's rights movement npo americans for equal and shared parenting um have provided this uh community where men and and supporters of this movement it's because it's not just men um, can come and be educated and then go out into the world and educate other people about what is really going on. Absolutely. So, so we'll hop in. We got a, I got a couple questions here. Um, we got about 10 minutes left. If you have a question, uh, drop it in the comments on Facebook or YouTube and maybe we'll get to it. So the, the first question I have here, um, sent to me DM. So we're not going to have it pop up on the screen, but, uh, what are what were the first steps you took when you got involved in the equal and shared parenting movement in Arkansas? I think the first steps I took was to educate myself on what had already been done in the past and what had failed and learn from the mistakes 
in the past and how to um, not make them again. And so I educated myself on some of the bills that have been put forth in the past. And then I educated myself more about our custody laws in general, uh, about our case law, our statutes, and, and then kind of educated myself, okay, what is the research out there? What does it show? And what is our goal? What, what do we want to in eventually accomplish? And how are we gonna reach that goal? So I think educating yourself, educating your team, uh, about um, you know your your state's law, your state's process, and kind of how you want to get to your goal is the first step in in formulating your plan. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So it goes back to the education piece. If you're not educated, you're not going to be able to. Um, you're not going to be able to educate those state legislators. You're not going to be able to build that coalition and educate them on why we're pushing for the specific goals we're pushing. So um, through through your process, second question here. So through your process in Arkansas, um, what would you say were um, some of the biggest misconceptions you had early on? And what are some things you wish you would have done more of earlier? Both good questions. Um, I think one, I think some of the misconceptions of, of our movement of shared parenting, equal parenting movement is that it's a conservative movement or it's often seen as a conservative movement. And I think that is is really a misconception because um, while we might share some ideology at times, I think it is an issue that cuts across party lines uh, and, and across the aisle. And you have to educate uh, Democrat representatives and legislators that it's it's not a, this is not a, a party issue. This is an issue that can, both parties can support and should support. So I think that was one of the misconceptions that, you know, when we were trying to educate legislators, we had to battle. I think something that um, we, something that we should have done more of, um, You know, I, I I don't know. I'm trying to think. We did so much. That's a tough we, uh, one because you guys got the win you wanted. I, I know that, yeah. that, may, that may be a tough one because you got across the finish line. Yeah, we. I mean, we we accomplished our goal. Um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it was. Uh, you know, it's it's always kind of what we we could have done better if we could could have uh, maybe had the language a little tighter, a little better. Um, you know, you, you can't please everyone. And I think that's part of part your team has to understand is the political process. Uh, it's, it's like you were watching sausage being made and it is not pretty. And so you have to make concessions that you may not like. Uh, you have to appease people sometimes and, and, but you have to work with people and get things done. And so while it might not have been the exact language that I would have written or that I would have wanted, it was language good enough to satisfy our team and, and the interested parties. Um, so I think something that maybe I, I would have tried to have done more of, um, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> we spent a lot of hours on the floor and in person. Um, yeah, I'll have to think about that one. Yeah, like I said, I know that second part's a tough one because uh, ultimately uh, you guys got what you wanted in that 50-50 presumption. So um, we uh, actually, okay, I was about to ask a question off here, but I have one from uh, YouTube and I think we will both be able to hop in on this one. So um, what were the differences? So we so Brian just talked about that this is not a conservative issue. This is not a Republican issue, approaching it as as a bipartisan issue. Um, but obviously Republicans and Democrats are gonna have different motives. So what were the differences between encountering Republican and Democrat politicians? Well, you have to understand what those, your state's parties, and and I would say, you know, it's, it's really state by state too, because, you know, a Democrat in Arkansas is probably going to be maybe as conservative, if not more than maybe a Republican in the Northeast or somewhere. So you have to understand. You, right. So you have to understand your state and what those parties, um, 
support and what they don't support. But I, I would say even, even dive deeper. What we did is we had a profile on each legislator. We knew what the legislators names were. We knew how long they had been in session. We knew what committees we, they were on. We knew what they supported and what they didn't. You have to make it personal to them. We researched legislators who had family members that had been through the family court system, who had connections to this. We, kn we knew who would be open to hearing these issues. And so you have to do that kind of deep dive. It's, it's not a blue red issue this is a personal issue and you have to make it personal for the legislators to understand it of why it matters and why it should matter to them and so doing that type of recon and that research and getting to know those legislators on a first name basis getting to know their families getting to know um, what they are interested in so that they are open with you and can tell you if they have any concerns about the language um, I had those conversations day in and day out, and um, that's how you make the connections on the legislative level. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll piggyback on that because I think that's that's a perfect response. This issue covers so much ground, and if you know a legislator's big in education, well, we have the numbers and we have the statistics that will point to academic success and graduating from college and teen pregnancy. Um, and if they're more worried about, say they're a legislator that's not big on, on state welfare, we have the statistics and the numbers that show that both men and women are going to be better off financially if they share the, the parental burden. So the, the, yeah. there's a whole spectrum of issues yeah. that legislators that yeah, absolutely, Mark. Legislators that uh, are concerned about prison reform, we targeted those with those statistics. Legislators that are concerned about veterans and veterans' rights, we showed them those statistics of veterans who have struggled in the family court system. So you have to understand what, what motivates those legislators and what interests them and speak their language. And so present them with the research that they are interested in to support your cause. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, every single legislator in some way, a cause they deeply support, a cause they champion is probably going to be impacted by family court reform and this equal and shared parenting movement. So having that personalized approach and not thinking Republican, Democrat, thinking what are their issues that they champion? Um, because it's going to be really hard if they're the champion of education and then we can point to statistics that this actually improves educational outcomes. It's going to be hard for them not to back that. Uh, and, and one final thing is I would say our legislators in Arkansas are, for the most part, most of them are very, very open and very easy to talk to. And, and I, I don't think I had a single negative experience even with the ones that told me, look, I just can't support it. We had very cordial conversations about the law and the substance um, and very respectful conversations. And sometimes you just have to agree to disagree. Uh, but you walk away with it uh, knowing that you gave it your best effort. And that, legislate, that legislator walked away knowing that, hey, while I might not, res I might not support the issue, I can respect him. Uh, in the way he approached it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, um, states vary, but here in California, there's 80 assembly people and there's 40 state senators. You only need 21 state senators and you only need 41 state assembly people. Um, you're, you're not looking to get everyone to push something across the finish line. So we're closing in on an hour. Um, is there anything else you want to, to leave the viewers with? Anything that you learned through this process that they could take and utilize in their states? Um, I think I would encourage you to, when you go into this, know that this is going to be a lot of work. This is not an easy task. This is not just a few emails and you're done with it. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, I volunteered hundreds and hundreds of hours in the past couple of years uh, focused on various aspects of this, meeting people face to face. And you have to have 
um, a concerted team approach and a, a message. Um, and, and I would encourage you to have someone who's a point person that can be on the ground at the legislature that can make those uh, lobbying efforts. Uh, again, Gina on our team was just phenomenal. And I think it is important to have a, you know, a female be the one to, to deliver that message to legislators to say, look, this is not a male issue. This is not this is not. This is a parent issue, and um, she was able to do that in a very effective way, um, day to day, and, and did a lot of the heavy lifting for us. And uh, Patrick, as I said, was just the architect of the whole thing, and uh, I was just I was just honored to be a, a small part uh, in the, in the wheel. That's awesome. Uh, congratulations! I know the fruits of your labor are a few days from becoming a reality. Um, once again, Brian, want to thank you for coming on, uh, sharing your knowledge, sharing your experience uh, with our viewers. Hopefully, uh, at least a handful can take this knowledge and, and take it to their state houses and create some positive change. So uh, thank you uh, for coming on. Um, for the viewers, uh, we're going to have a special episode uh, next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. We're going to have Ryan McLaughlin back on to talk about constitutional arguments in family court. Um, but Brian, thank you for coming on and uh, Thanks, we'll Mark. see everybody on Monday.